Hey, let's, uh, let's start, let's pray together. Okay. So God, the, the lyrics of that song just bring up a lot of emotions, a lot of me too emotions. Like that's how I feel. I feel like try, I'm trying to take what's broken, this broken part of my life, and make it right, but I feel like my, my life is burning down. Parts of my life are burning down. And so we come in here to open a door into this thing that we call home and family and marriage and parenting and, and just being part of a, a, a group of people trying to get along. And sometimes it works well and sometimes it, it just falls apart. And so we're coming in here to open up your word to see what Jesus has to say is a better way. So God, what we, we ask every week in here is teach us a good thing about Jesus. Connect that with our lives so that when we walk out of this place, we can put it into practice and maybe end up with something that doesn't fall apart every time the wind blows the wrong way. So without apology, we're asking God, will you teach us about your son Jesus? It's in his name I pray, amen. Hey, before we get into this, just one more time, give it up for summer. That's awesome. That's so good. That's so beautiful, yeah. And that was her voice, not mine, just so you know, we didn't... Duh, thank you. All right. So today uh, is week three of our home series where we're using a metaphor of a house and we're going room to room to room in this house, letting each room represent a part or a piece or a relationship or a role that we play or that somebody else plays in our life. And, and, and if you take the most important people and the most important relationships and the most important parts of your life and put them in one place, you usually point at that and go, that's my house. That's my family. That's, that, that's my, my home. And so we started this series a couple of weeks ago by crafting a, a mission statement, if you want to call it that, about the current, as it is right now, state of our house, our life, our marriage, whatever that is, all right? Not what we hope it is and, and we cross our fingers, we wish it was better. No, based on the way our house is right now, what is the mission statement of our home? And we went back to a statement from a man named Joshua who lived thousands of years even before Jesus was born. And he stood up in front of people and said, well, here's my family mission statement. It goes like this. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. In, in other words, let me just make it really, really clear. If you live in my house or you come visit my house, anyone who tries to bring something into my house or take, things, some, take something or someone out of my house, whatever, whoever does that will have to line up or go through this filter of it does or it does not line up with what God says is right and good and true for those who live in my house. Because that's for me and my house. That's how, that's how we run our house. If it lines up, if it lines up with what God says is right and true, I and my house, we're gonna do that a lot. A whole lot. And if it doesn't, it's not getting past me. I'm a door. I'm like, I'm like the guardian gate, all right? And it's not coming in my house. So the challenge that we, that we went out a couple weeks ago and last week and again today is what is the current mission statement of your home as it is right now? You know, in your head, complete this sentence. As for me and my house, we what? And it, hopefully you land on really good words. We're loving, we're kind, we, 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 we get along all the time. But for a lot of us, if we were honest, and that's, this, this series is based on honesty, so... Some of us would go, well, as for me and my house, we fight all the time. From, from, and we, we fake it in the parking lot and come in here, but, but our whole week has been a fight. Or as for me and my house, we hide and are dishonest with one another. As for me and my house, we're, it's chaos all the time. As for me and my house, I don't even know if it's going to last another week. So what are the words that currently describe the state or the direction of your home? And I'm looking at my own life, and, and, and here's kind of where I land. As for me and my house, we serve the Lord sometimes. Most of the time, all right? As long as it doesn't get in the way of what I want to do, then I serve the Lord. Or as long as it doesn't cause me to miss out on things that everybody else is doing at work or at school or, or it's just how people do it now. And if it doesn't violate that, then we'll serve the Lord. Or as for me, my house, you know, we will do whatever. The wind blows in the door and says, well, this is normal, so do this. Whether it agrees or disagrees with God's word, for me, my house, as long as it's not inconvenient, we'll serve the Lord. 
And again, we have to be honest, most of us have built big chunks of our life on that kind of a foundation, which leaves us with almost no assurance or confidence of whether or not our home or our marriage or our family will even make it through the next storm. Sometimes, again, if you just look back over the last several weeks, sometimes you just feel like it's a matter of time until somebody just blows this whole thing apart. But again, all right, so we all have this thing, one thing in common, or we, we all have this idea or this want or this desire. We want our home to be better. We want our life to be good, you know, and not fall down every time something bad happens. But in order to get to that better life that Jesus says is available, he says you're going to have to rethink some things. The, the Bible word is repent, but just rethink everything, re-strategize, remove some of those, you know, didn't think it was a big deal, you know, piles of junk that we've hoarded up in our life. And kick it to the curb. Clean house and and replace it with something that Jesus says is better and will actually stand up and work when you need it to stand up and work the most. And that's the purpose of this series. So last week, you know, we we started at that front door. And I I don't have time to review it all. So you have to get online and watch it if if you missed it. But we started at the front door. And we let that door represent the primary roles and responsibilities of a husband and a wife and maybe also a father and a mother. And that, that unique role of protection uh, the door has this job of protection from anything outside that door that might try to come in and give to or take from my home, my family, that's different, you know, than, than, than what God says is right and good and true. I'm going to protect them from that, all right? And the other one is, just, is that unique role of provision, providing everything inside that front door to supply all that God may have in mind for my family, for my wife, for my husband, for my kids, whatever that is, as they run after and pursue what God has in mind for them. I can't give them everything, but everything that I can give, everything I can provide so they can become the people that God intended them to be, I'm gonna do it. And if the leadership of the house is not united on roles and responsibilities, like if somebody just passively abandons their post or goes in the wrong door, or things that they can expect or outsource what God has given them to do, uniquely given them to do? You think that you can just give that to somebody else and pay somebody else to do it while you go like do something else instead? Jesus says that that home, that house, that marriage, that family, according to Jesus, will fall apart. It's a matter of time. Probably not today, maybe not even this week, but Jesus says it's a matter of time. Some of us have lived through that barely. Jesus says, and great will be the fall of that home. Fall apart. What do you mean? As a man, my role as husband and father, gone. Some of us are in the middle of that even right now. My my role as a wife and a mother, gone. And now there's nothing left standing but shame and regret. And most of the time, that great fall or that great crash doesn't just land on the the wronged spouse, the the one got abandoned and left, although it certainly hurts, doesn't it? But more than ever, it lands on some children who are looking to a promise of provision and protection that every child should be able to count on from his or her parents. What is that? I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll never abandon you. No matter how, what it costs me, I will not leave you alone. And if that front door isn't strong or if what happens inside that house isn't solid, the house will fall to the ground. It'll burn down. But if the door is strong and the foundational truths aren't up for grabs, or changing every time the wind blows a different way, that house, Jesus says, will stand. So having said that, let's move past that front door. Let's move into this thing called the living room. The living room. Now, now let me kind of set this up a little bit. So when Jesus makes the comparison to building your house on a rock that will not fall apart every time a storm hits your life, this wasn't the only time that Jesus used a house or a home or a family as a metaphor for something else. He used it quite a bit. If you, if you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the, he uses this, this reference to house and home and family a, a lot. And the reason is because 2,000 years ago, people were just like us. 
On the big things, it it really hasn't changed, all right? Meaning this is that just like you back then, everybody, you know, at some time came from and probably later today will go back to this thing called, that's my house. That's my home. That's, that's my family. I came from that. I'm going back to that later, later today. And so, so Jesus used this comparison of a house or a home a, a lot. And I'll, I'll give you one. Here's the one we're going to look at today, all right? So again, let me set this up. So Jesus has been, you know, walking around Israel. And he's got these 12 guys that follow him everywhere. You know, and he stops at a town and he'll teach for a while. And then he'll pick up and then he'll go into the next town. These guys go with him. So this is just a few weeks before the crucifixion. And, and Jesus has just sat all these guys down and said, so here's the plan, fellas, all right? So I'm going to go to Jerusalem and they're going to arrest me. And then they're going to nail me to a cross. And then they're going to stick me in a hole because I'm dead for three days. But then I'm going to come back to life. And then after that, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to leave and I'm going to go back to, to my father in heaven. But don't worry, all right? I promise I wouldn't leave you or forsake you. So I'm going to, I'm going to leave my spirit in you and to be with you because I promise I would not abandon you. And second, I promise I will come back and I will get you and take you to where I am. Now, again, I think we spiritualize Bible people too much because if I'm one of those 12 guys after hanging out with Jesus for three years and he says, I'm about to go get murdered, but it'll be okay. I, my response is, this is the worst plan ever. Like we voted when you weren't around, all right? And we voted no cross, all right? That's a bad idea. And here's what we're all really unanimous on this. Don't leave. Don't, don't, do not leave us. They actually try to talk, read the whole chapter. They actually try to talk him out of leaving. And so Jesus tells a story about a house. So in John chapter 14, here's what he says. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Why do you say that? Because their hearts are troubled. He's like, don't, this is a horrible idea. Don't leave us alone. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, so trust God. Believe also in me. It's the same word, trust, faith. Same word, right? Verse two. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. And they're in an argumentative move. So Thomas speaks up. Lord, no, we don't. We do not know where you're going. So how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, very famous verse, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, if you've gone to church very long in your life or go back to mass when you were a kid or whatever that is, all right, these verses probably bring up some different memories or emotions in you. They do for me anyway. For example, in those six verses, Jesus makes reference to something that freaks a lot of Christians out. So a lot of Christians don't even want to talk about it. But in those six verses, Jesus makes reference to the idea of Jesus coming back. Like a second time. Like first time, Christmas, awesome. All right? Food, trees, presents, awesome. Oh, good. Reindeer. It's just great. All right? So, so the idea of Jesus, that first time, Christmas, that's great. Second coming, not so awesome. I mean, it might be awesome for some people. It might be a very bad day for, for some other people. I mean, if you're really honest, do you really want Jesus to come back today? Or last night, remember, right? So, right? I'd be like, I had a date. It had been bad, right? I don't know if I want Jesus to go to work with me or go to school with me or see how I run my life, all right? Christmas Jesus, yeah. Eight-pound baby Jesus, awesome, all right? That's a movie reference if you're keeping up, all right? Second coming Jesus, that sounds kind of freaky. So let me just say this. Take a breath, all right? I absolutely believe in the second coming of Jesus. I actually am one of those people that believe it could happen at any moment. I think everything that needs to be fulfilled has been fulfilled. And as important as that is, we're not going to talk about it. So take a breath. Okay? It's my Thanksgiving gift to you. All right. So second thing, though, in those six verses of reference to what a lot of people would say, that's a description of what heaven's going to be like. 
And honestly, for the last couple thousand years, people have read those, those six verses and make a really, 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 really big leap to what they think heaven is going to be like when we get there. And they go back to this, this, this phrase, this one little sentence in John 14 that goes like this, in my father's house are many, what's the word? And in my father's house are many rooms. But in other translations of the Bible, like I grew up, grew up in the King James Bible, that's like the real one, all right? So, all right, so all, all the people going to church going, ah, that's what my grandma said. But, but it translates this way, in my father's house are many what? Mansions. And you read that and go, that's good. So do the math. When we all get to heaven, we get our own mansion. That, uh, sign me up, all right? And then some people jump all the way to, and your mansion will be a big one, awesome one, or a crappy little shack, all right? Depending on how many building supplies you sent on ahead. I actually sat through that sermon my whole life, all right? And they're referring to when Jesus says, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven and not treasures on earth. So people go, well, that must mean that for the past 2,000 years, Jesus has been building me a house. Must be good if it takes him 2,000 years, right? Building a mansion out of whatever good deeds and treasures that I have done here in this life or given to him in this life. And again, it kind of goes like this. Help an old lady across the street in this life. Upgrade your appliances in the next one, right? (laughs) It's like, is that? And some of you never said it out loud, but you're like, isn't that right, right? No. That would be horrible theology, actually. Meaning this. We might be saved by grace through faith and not by works. But if you work hard enough, you end up in a better neighborhood after you die, right? And some of you are going, I never said it out loud, but that's how I thought it worked. And I don't want to bust all your old gospel music bubbles because that's a theme, all right? But, but all those references to individual rooms or mansions, whatever you want to call it, that are in my father's house. And later you hear about streets of gold and all this, this kind of stuff, all right? Listen, that's all good, all right? But they're trying to communicate a message a little more important than be good so you get more square footage in the next life, Right? It's got to be more than that. See, the message from Jesus in these six verses goes like this. You don't, don't be afraid. Don't let your hearts be troubled. I'm, a, I'm going to provide for you a home where you can live together with me. In my father's house. All right? And, and there's plenty of room in my father's house. And I'm going to do everything necessary. And you don't have to be afraid because I will provide everything that is needed for us to be together forever. And if you really press into this. All the actual descriptions of heaven and the afterlife from Jesus all the way to the last couple chapters of the book of Revelation, all right? They are all descriptions of being with and living with and being in the direct presence of God with no separation. So shall we be with the Lord like forever. And in all those descriptions, certain phrases or words pop out like, and so shall we be with. We get to be with God, right? And, And we get to live together with God and with one another in a perfect, in a per, in a perfect place. And, and when those words about going to prepare a room for us in his father's house came out of Jesus' mouth, 2,000 years later here in Colorado, we jumped to the wrong conclusions. But those guys listening to Jesus go, I get it. In your father's house, it's just like my father's house. It's, it's the same, right? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. And I didn't understand this, but I, I finally started understanding this better on my first trip back in the, to the Middle East about, about 12 years ago. I was in Afghanistan in this little bombed out village called Estalif. And if you've ever gone with us over there, maybe, maybe you've been to that, that little town. And I was up on a hill looking down on Estalif. And again, it had been bombed out many, many, many times. And what happened is, is that all the flat roofs of the house, and if you're in the military, you, you remember seeing stuff like this, all right? The, the, the flat roofs, a lot of them had collapsed down, but all the vertical walls were still in, in place. And so you could look down and it kind of looked like the this, this picture, this graphic of our series, it looked like a dollhouse and someone just lifted the roof off and you could look down there and it looked like a maze of all these rooms and hallways and courtyards and stuff like that. 
And Waqil, our, our host, he explained that all the houses in the Middle East, in Afghanistan, but all of the Middle East, they're all kind of the same, meaning that every, everybody's house has, a, has a, a wall around it. Right? You've seen this, right? A wall around it, and in that wall is a gate. And usually that whole property just has one gate. There's only one way in, and there's only one way out. But here's the other thing I didn't know, is that inside the walls, everything inside there was called, that's my house. It wasn't just the building, it was the yard, it was the porch, it was, it was where people ate together, it was where people slept. It was all the house. And in the oldest part of that structure, you would find what was the father's house. Probably the person that even built that whole structure to begin with. And, and what, what, what Keel explained to me about what happens in Afghanistan is the same thing that happened back when Jesus told that story about his father's house. And the culture goes like this, right? So, so, and it's still the same in parts of the world. A man became engaged. Maybe his parents arranged it or whatever, right? And then a, waiting, a wedding date was put on the calendar. And then the man left his fiance, left his bride-to-be, his wife-to-be, probably with her parents. And then he went and he built or he prepared a room or an apartment which was attached to the site of his father's house inside that perimeter wall that protected the entire family home. Right? And then when that was all prepared, he went and he got his bride and he married her and then he took her to the place that he had prepared for her. He picked her up and carried her across the threshold like we talked about last week and ta-da, a new home is established in my father's house. And then years later, you know, maybe, you know, maybe he had a son and his son grew up and then his son, you know, got, got engaged, all right? And then he built a room on his father's house, which was attached to his grandfather's house. And then he went and got his bride. He married her. He brought her home, carried her in and on and on and on. So eventually in my father's house are many rooms. So this is my house. This is my dad's house. This is my grandpa's house. This is my son's house. And this is my grandson's house. We're, we're, we, we all live together. And so what, what Jesus is referencing is how after he ascended back into heaven to his father's house, he compared it to something that all those, those people knew about. Just like the groom, he was leaving to prepare a place for us and he will come back for us. And all through the New Testament, you find that the church is referred to as the bride of Christ. And the reason he's doing that is so that where I am, you may also be with me. So what Jesus was painting in those six verses is a picture of God's family living together. And most of us can hang with that. Most Christians can hang with what Jesus says will happen like someday in the future, kind of a scary day, right? But most of us miss that at the same time, Jesus is pointing to something, an arrangement, a way or an example of living that Jesus is still holding up and saying, this is a better way to live your life now. Not after you die and go somewhere else. Now, this life. Because if you can figure out how to live together this way now, it has the ability to hint at or give us a taste of what living with Jesus and with one another is going to be like for eternity. And people that were listening to Jesus say that, they got it. They took it for granted. Ah, well, that makes sense. But culturally, we miss it. And we hear that and go, what do you mean? What, what, what am I missing here? Well, remember this. We've hit it every, every week so far. It goes like this. God, God not only commands people and families to live together with one another and stop there. Most of us can hang with that. That makes sense. That makes sense. But he also commands us to live together in a certain way. In other words, not every family makes it. Not every plan for my marriage survives. Not every home stands up when storms hit, hit their life. But there is a certain way, according to Jesus. So what is the certain way that Jesus is assuming that families live, live so that first they understand, I'm, I'm really talking about heaven, but the other thing is so that you can have a home and a family and a marriage that actually has a chance to stand up and hold together when the storms of life hit your house in this life. 
What is that certain way? And the answer is, is found tucked into that earlier statement that we were talking about. And the defining word of the certain way is together. As in, a family is meant to live and do life together. God's idea. And this is where it gets quiet. Because that brings up a lot of stuff. Really? Let's just say that out loud together. Here we go. One, two, three. A family is meant to live and do life together. And most of us, you know, again, let's be honest. We hear that and we jump right to, we do. do don't we kids? Don't we? I mean, we, we do sometimes. We, we, do, we, do, we do a lot, all right? We, we, we share life. We do life a lot more than a lot of people in our neighborhood. Let me just say that, okay? All right, we, we do that. But we're not comparing ourselves to the neighborhood. We're not comparing ourselves to normal. This is about honesty. And if we were honest and we honestly look back over the last couple weeks of our life. We don't have to go for years. Let's just look back over the last month. Besides sharing, we share a last name, we share an address, we share some money, we share car rides to work, to school, to hobbies, to sports, to games, right? We share some food. Usually we're standing up when we eat, walking towards a door, walking in a door, or we're in a car on the way to dropping off somebody or picking somebody up from later, and then we, you know, hit a drive-thru. And, and, and in terms of conversation, unless it was over a conflict or asking for money or permission so that you could go and do something that did not include spending time with members of your family, question, how much life did you really share together in the last couple weeks? And if you're feeling pretty good about it, let me just throw another clarifier on there, all right? So, so, so if you were to point at the last couple of weeks and say, we're good, we're good, Whew, we got that one right. We spent significant time under the same roof, spending the same money, riding the same cars, eating the same food, mostly in the same room, a lot. We were good on that. Okay, how about this? Did, how much or did any of that time include not holding an electronic device in your hand? Or, or, or a screen or... or, or, or or headphones in your ears that got all or most of the attention and the eye contact of, of, of the person that you were together with. I had a guy tell me this past week that his wife actually called his phone his mistress. What, what, what do you mean? It means I wish I got half as much attention as whoever's on the other side of that phone. Right? And listen, I, 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 I hear that. And then I start looking at my own life. And I'm like, I can't throw stones. Listen, I, I have, I've actually texted my wife from my recliner downstairs because I didn't want to go walk all the way upstairs and have a conversation with her, all right? And here's what's weird about that. None of you think that's weird. Some of you have texted people in the same row with you since I started talking, right? Yeah, we do. I Facebooked her right now. Look, I got liked, right, right, right? That's just, it's just normal. So I'm not throwing stones at anybody. I'm really not. See, I know that different seasons of life feel crazy and busy and stressful. And everybody looks at, at their life and, and their schedules and their budgets and feels that dilemma, that tug of war, that places and to, 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 to be places and to do things that are more things than are humanly possible. And again, I put myself in this category. Most of us tell ourselves that it's just necessary or this is just life or this is just normal or that it's temporary. And as soon as I get this next thing done, then we'll get back to normal. But let's be honest, the last two weeks, that's normal. That's normal. Because there will always be something else waiting for us that has to be done right after what we are currently doing is over. But it's rarely over. So we just keep on packing more stuff under our lives and telling ourselves that we're going to get to that. And then we don't. And that's reality. I'm just calling out reality, all right? My life, your life, all right, all right? And if you're feeling some pressure about that or some guilt or some embarrassment about the pace of your life and your lack of time together, that's not my goal. You didn't need to come to church to get that, all right? My goal is for us to be honest about our lives. And if you were honest, you would admit that the pace of your home life that you call living together 
isn't really together as much as it's everybody busy doing their own thing. And while it might, it might distract you from what is really going on or, or not going on that you know needs to actually happen, let's again be honest, the thousands of things that you did this week, carpooled to, attended, bought, spent your waking hours doing, your week left you more exhausted than what it actually brought life and greater togetherness as a family, didn't it? I'll just really call it out. You hardly saw each other this week. Let alone had a conversation or, or spent time doing anything that you would call, well, that was important. That was meaningful. And I'll, I'll, just, I'll give you an example. See, I, I love my job. There's, I love most of my job. There's parts of my job that are hard. Showing up at emergency rooms, showing up at funeral homes, showing up at the, 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 the worst places in life, you know. And, and, and I, we're all going to have those days in our life. And of all those conversations I've had with people, they almost always contain this, I wish I could go back and... And for those of us who've, who've you know, buried and, and lost people that are really, really dear to us, we're rehearsing, we're remembering what we said. So what, what's yours going to be like? I, I wish we had more time to watch more TV. Anybody? I wish we could have gotten more movies together and stared straight ahead in a dark room and not spoken to one another. I wish we could have gotten our kids in more ball games, all right, and given them more video games. I, I wish that's what, I wish I could have given that to my, to my kids. Or how about this? And this is what I'm finding. I wish we would have had more time to do something together that was important. And if that's true, and you say, I want something different and better in my life, and if Jesus says, and I love this word, and he empowers you, he gives the power back to you and says, it's your life. You can build your life on any foundation that you want, okay? It's your life, all right? But it all adds up to this question. If you don't like the way that your life is going and the pace that it's going at and the things that are robbing all of your hours of being together as a family, question, what do you want to choose to change? Because it's your choice, but you gotta want it. Your choice. You don't hear this very much anyway, right? Your life is your choice. Your home, your choice. It's your home. It's your marriage, your family. You choose how your family spends time together. Now, let me, let me kind of put a caveat on this. There are some things that are not in your control. You don't get to fix people. You don't you make people agree with you. You, don't, you can't throw something out that we'll get to that, to that later and they're all gonna get on board with your ideas. Or no, but there are some things that are not in your control, but there are just way too many things in our lives that we've given away and justify it by calling, well, that's normal. Well, that's out of my control. And really, it's, it doesn't have to be normal. And you could make a change, even if it was a really hard, intrusive one. At least that's how it feels at first. It is your life. And what do you want to change about it? It comes back to this key word, and that word is in intentionality. Intentionality. In other words, whatever's going to change in your life, it's not going to happen by accident. Things only change for the better by making an intentional strategy and then putting it, putting it into practice. I mean, come in here and learn about it, pray about it, sing a song about it, but then you have to go put it into practice or it doesn't make a difference. Let, let me amend that a little bit, all right? Because here's, here's real life. Eventually, tragedy will force you to make a change, but when that happens, you're doing it in response to something tragic that happened. And I'm really tired of waiting until something tragic happens before I pay attention to it and make some changes. Anybody else? I am, all right? I, I want to build a life that doesn't always end up in tragedy. Well, how's that happen? Intentionality. Empowerment. Make a decision. What do you want to happen in your home, in your marriage, with your kids, between you and your parents, between your brothers and sisters? Then listen, make a plan and intentionally do it. And see, this is cover to cover in the Bible. Jesus never shoves it down your throat and says, you have to do this. He says, here it is, two deals on the table, whatever. What are you gonna choose? 
Moses knew that. Nothing happens important by accident. Let's go back to that famous Shema we looked at last, last, last week in Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is Moses and he's, he's throwing this out. He says, hear, O Israel. And you know what? If he was up here standing today, he'd probably go, listen, church. Listen, Christians. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. I mean, he doesn't change. So what was true back there with Moses is still true in this room right now. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then Moses says this, and Jesus quotes this and says, this is the most important sentence in the entire Bible. So pay attention. Let's just say it out loud together. Here we go. One, two, three. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Oh, and, that, and that's what Moses says. That's how I want to build my life. That's my marriage. This is how I want to raise my children. Most important parts. And here's the part I want us to look at today. Like, how's that going to happen? Well, intentionally. Look at verse 6. And these words I command you today. What do you mean? Love the Lord God with all your heart, my soul, strength. They shall be on your heart. They've got to be in the core of who you are. You, listen, you shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way. And when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on, on your hands, like a bracelet, all right? And they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. If you're going to intentionally have a house, a marriage, a family that is focused on what God says, this is most important. Loving God and loving the most important people in your life. You're going you're to have to intentionally carve out some time and space in your daily life to teach them. To teach your home, to teach your family, to talk about it. When you sit down and when you walk and when, when you get ready for bed and tuck them into bed and when you get up in the morning, you're going to need to, this is what Moses says, you're going to need to put significant like physical reminders all over your life that loving God involves your, your brain and your mouth and your ears and your hands and your eyes. He says, for heaven's sakes, nail them to the wall if you have to. Nail them to your door, right? As reminders of, oh yeah, in the pace of our life, there are some things that are more important than the things that are demanding our attention we got to be careful so that we make sure that loving and prioritizing God in our lives and loving and prioritizing one another in our lives as a home, as a marriage, as a family, living together doesn't get pushed to the side, not because we're bad people, because in a normal life there will always be something trying to push the most important things to the side for what feels like really important today. Now, here's what, here's what I know about this, okay? I would say that most of you Agree with me. Most of you, you might not say this out loud, but in your head or your heart, right? You're sitting there going, you're right. We spend way too much time doing things that feel important, but looking back, they really aren't as important as all the things that got squeezed out. So I'm gonna leave you with a couple questions and then uh, uh, a really intrusive application, <laughs> okay? So uh, first question, why? Why are we so busy? Why are we so busy? And we are. And I came up with a couple of answers. They're both bad. Answer number one, we have given away control to someone else to dictate the pace of life for our family. We've turned the keys over to somebody else and says, you can tell us how busy we are. You can tell us what comes in my house. You can tell us how to run, run our home. We turn the keys of our life over to somebody else and says, you, 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 you tell us what to do. And again, you know, stuff comes up in us in these conversations and, and these rationalizations that go like that. Well, uh, well, that's just the way it is today. 
That's just the way, way, way it is. Or how, how about this? Listen, I, I can't say no to my kids. Listen, I, I, I didn't have anything when I was a kid. I had a horrible home life when I was a kid. And I told myself if I ever had kids, I would give them everything I possibly could. So I, I just, I don't ever say no to my kids, which actually means this, if you lean into it. I am a weak parent who allows my children to run our house and our schedule rather than me stepping into my role as provider and protector because of my own baggage from my childhood is interfering with me being a healthy parent and an adult. And that stings to say it out loud. But some of us are sitting and going, I know. I know. I know that the pace of our life is not healthy. I, I know that this is what, how we run our home. That's not a good thing. But I'll be honest with you, I just don't have the energy or the courage to change it. And so I just put up a white flag and go, you know what? I'll just deal with the consequences later. And you don't know what you're asking for. Take it from us who have dealt with the consequences later. So the second one is worse. Happy Thanksgiving, right? So uh, if, if my family, I mean my husband or wife or parents and kids, all right, if my family spent significant time together, I don't know what we would talk about, do, or have in common. Some of us may think about, you, what? Spend an evening just with my, f- that would be the most awkward five minutes, because that's all it would last, right? I mean, so we stay busy too busy so that we never have to kind of look at that horrible aha moment in the face and admit that when it comes to the people that we say are the most important people and that we love the most my my, my spouse my, my parents my kids whatever we live much of our lives in isolation not together even if we live under the same roof and that's a horrible aha moment which brings me to the holidays okay it's coming, all right? Thanksgiving is Thursday, all right? And, that, and Thursday, Thursday, Friday launches that whole Christmas season. And here's what's going to happen. Thursday, you know, evening, or, or it's, it's already happened on some, some stations, all right? Friday night, definitely, will launch a month of movies and TV shows and specials, you know, and, and all, these, all these things that will portray the whole idea that something magical is about to happen in December, Right? Uh, it's, gonna, it's so magical and so strong and powerful, it can make impossible things possible. And it's all wrapped up in this thing called the magic of Christmas or, or cross your fingers and hope for your Christmas miracle, whatever you want to call it. And I love that stuff. I eat it up. I mean, I sit on my couch and watch these shows. I get misty-eyed watching these wonderful stories about a wonderful life. And I think the spirit of Christmas fixes everything. Just hang on for December 24th, all right? I mean, maybe it'll fix my stuff too, all right? So good luck with that. Now, why, why then... Are so many of us dreading it? Why are so many of us dreading the holidays? Why, why, why do the holidays launch what every mental health worker will attest to as the most depressing three months of the year? Like January and February lead all the other months combined in suicide. Just a few weeks after the magical season of Christmas, which is supposed to fix stuff. Why is that? Why is it, you need to look straight ahead. Don't look at anybody at this part, all right? Why is it that the worst family fights that you have ever experienced usually happened at family get-togethers and dinners around Thanksgiving and Christmas? And you know what I'm talking about. Look, look straight ahead, all right? Because it happened last year. It's going to happen Thursday evening, all right? It's going to go something like this. You're going to, after dinner, you're going to go get in your car and slam the door. And then someone's going to give the same speech they gave last year. That is the last time we're going to your parents' house or your sister's mouth is out of control or whatever, all right? But then here's what's going to happen. In the next 11 months, you're going to get amnesia and you're going to sign it for the same casserole and deja vu, it will happen again. Anybody been to that family reunion? Right? So pass the Pepto-Bismol or the Scotch, whatever that is, all right? And... <laughs> Not judging anybody, all right? So my, 
Here's my happy Thanksgiving thought to leave you with, all right? These two holidays that are coming up, Thanksgiving and Christmas, are both founded on the idea of, of taking a time out and remember how much you have been given by grace and to stop and acknowledge God, the source of that, the, of grace, of care, of family, of protection, of forgiveness, of love. That is the original purpose of both of those. Let me remind everybody, Christian holidays. Thanksgiving and Christmas are about Jesus. But what Thanksgiving and Christmas often become is a charade that reminds us of everything that we don't have the other 364 days of the year. And the fight happens, the blow up happens when somebody finally goes, I call BS, listen, I'm not doing this anymore. And then the fight, here we go, right? Off to the races. So listen carefully to this, all right? There is no such thing as the spirit or the magic of Christmas. There's only Christ. There's just Jesus. A day on the calendar doesn't fix anything. Jesus is the giver of all good things. Now, here are my two applications. And that's not really true. There are two when I wrote this, but I thought of some more. So here's my 17 applications. All right, so, all right, so. Here's some applications that might lead to building a better strategy for living together better the other 364 days out of the year so that if you ever decide to actually show up at that dinner again, you might actually have something to be thankful for, right? So Thanksgiving, here's, a, here's a, kind of an idea or an assignment. And let me, I know who's gonna do this, all right? And I don't know how they're gonna do it, you know, but it's gonna be the person who wants this or is the most desperate to have something better happen in the next year than the one that happened last year. And I don't, again, I don't know how you're gonna do this. I don't know if you're gonna stand up, you know, take your spoon and go ding, 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 all right? I wanna say something and people go, oh no, all right? So, uh, but whoever wants this most, here's what I challenge you to do. Throw this out. What is one thing that we could do as a family in the next year to intentionally spend more time together every week? What's this one thing we could do? And just see where that conversation goes. And some of you are going, that just wouldn't go well at all. You know what? You have the right to ask for it. You have the right to say, I want a better family. I want us to be closer together. I'm not going to apologize for saying, I want us to do more life together. You want to blow everybody away. Here's, it's your home. You can make any rules you want, right? Because it's your home, all right? So I, I, I have a good friend of mine who does this every dinner at their house. They bring out a basket and put it on the, on, the, on the table. So when you do the prayer for Thanksgiving, and you should pray for Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving, all right? So put a basket on there and say, everybody put their cell phones in that basket. And I'm going to put it in the bedroom until after the meal is over, and we're actually going to talk to one another. And some of you are going, oh, no, but what if somebody likes my photo and requests me or something like that? They'll be there later, okay? So put your phone away, at least for the, at least for the meal. And some of you are going, I'm having, I'm having heart pains right now, okay? So, <laughs> so if you don't want to do that, don't do that. But second, if Christmas is not about a magic moment that changes everything, but it's all about Jesus who can change everything, then just like what Jesus did for you, what if... What if you made a choice, and it's your choice. God has empowered you to make choices about your own life, a decision. What if you made a choice to lay down something very important to you, not for any, no reason, all right, in order to do something more important for somebody else? This is really important. This is what I want to go do. This is what I want to, want to, want to whatever, all right? But I'm, I'm not going to do that because there's something else I want to do more. And the obvious application is you could help another family out, put a little more thought into your Christmas gifts or something like that. But, but deeper than that, what, what could you give of yourself to someone else, maybe to everybody in your family that would move you and your family towards living and sharing life together, building a better home that's better than it was last year. And again, you're not responsible for people's responses. You can't force people to spend time with you, but, but don't apologize for asking, right? 
You're going to have to get way out of the box and out of your comfort zone and rethink some of the ways and norms that you currently live your life. But the end result, the goal that you're going for without apology is I want us to be closer. I want us to live closer together. Because God says that maybe if we would live closer together, maybe our home wouldn't fall apart every Friday night. So I'm asked for it. I'm, so I'm going to give you an example of kind of out of the box. All right? And, and it's going to feel a little manipulative and self-serving. But I'm going to do it anyway, all right? Because there's a chance that if you actually were to pay attention to this, a whole bunch of people could win. So we're always talking around here about men stepping into their roles as leaders, husbands, and fathers. If you've been here more than a month, you've heard it 10 times, all right? And and last week, really, we we were talking about men being the spiritual leaders and the protective door of, of their home. We talk about that all the time. But the truth is, when a lot of us men hear stuff like that, we don't say it out loud, but inside what we're thinking is, I have no idea how to do that. I have no idea how to lead my home or, or, or you know, be a door or whatever. I, I mean, I, I actually, I think that I'm not even qualified to do that. So I don't even know where to start. So the other thing you hear around here a lot is, well, leaders go first. So I'm going to throw out a challenge to everyone who needs to grow in this, in this area of, of leading your home. But especially, not exclusively, but especially, I want to talk to young husbands and young dads. Or you think you might be one soon. All right? Here's what I want you to do. As soon as this service is over, all three campuses, right? I want you to get up out of this room and go and sign up to serve in kids' ministry for three months. See, it's worse than you thought. No, oh, no, right, right? I want you to serve the weekend before Christmas, all of us, all right? Because we need a lot of extra bodies. Because we're, Christmas, here's what's going to happen in, in about three or four weeks, all right? People are going to come in here for the first time, and we're going to say, there's no room in the inn. There's no room in our, you have to leave and I don't want to do that. So we need all hands on deck for that. But, but I don't want to talk about one time. I'm talking about after the first of the year. And between now and Christmas, we have a couple of trainings. All right. And you find out more about that. I want you to sign up for two weekends a month. Let me clarify that. Two hours a month. Like you go to church one hour and you go serve in there for, for, for one hour. And then you do your normal stuff the next week. And then you do it again the, the, the next week. So two hours. And then you're, then you're good. So listen, man, I'm, I'm serious about this, all right? As soon as you get out of this room, go to our kids' ministry kiosk down there and go, where do you need me? Or how about this, dads, okay? Ask if you can be in a room with your own child. And then you can see and learn, this is what it is actually like to be the spiritual leader of my home. Because right now, all your kids are learning about this guy named Jonah. And some of us going, now who's he? How am I going to spiritually lead my kids when my four-year-old knows more about the Bible than I do? Go sit on the floor with him. Go sit on the floor with him and go, hey, we all learned this together. And then tonight when you tuck him into bed, you can go, ah, Jonah's pretty crazy, huh? You know, like, something like, all right, right. And, and you know, he's going, oh, I don't even have kids yet. Great. Practice your spiritual leadership on other people's kids. <laughs> if you screw it up, just go on home. <laughs> I don't know where he got that. I don't know, you know. <laughs> right. So there's that. And I'm serious about that. We had hundreds of men sign up for kids' ministry. So, so you have enough? No. No, we'll get more to that. We're also launching this thing called Fathers in the Field today. I've been waiting on this for, for the last two or three years, pairing up fatherless boys with strong, godly mentoring men. And if that's you, stop by that kiosk out there in the, in the lobby at all three campuses. This is how important this is. So, so, so last night, the Saturday night service, I'm out in the lobby, and this 13-year-old boy comes up to me. He goes, I was here last week. And I said, great. He goes, so I want to be the spiritual leader of my home, but I'm 13. I said, where's your dad? He goes, I don't know. He left when I, before I was even born. I live with my grandma. 
This is 13-year-old kid trying to figure out how do I lead my, lead my home? And then I lean into a story a little bit more. At 13, he's over-medicated on everything. He's addicted to pornography and video games. And then when I said, have you ever thought about this? He goes, I, I can't go outdoors. But it'd be really cool to talk to a man. He's already surrendered. And unless some man steps into this kid's life, he's done. He's done. And every single mom in this room is going, please step into his life. But every time I bring this thing up about fatherless boys, the question comes along, but what about the fatherless girls? Because you know, I read all this and like fathers are like the most important person in a, in a young girl's life. What are we going to do about that? And the best, safest answer I know right now is we need more good men to volunteer in kids ministry. So some kids can go over there every week and say, and, and get this message, not all men leave. Not all husbands walk out. They don't. Yours did. And that's not fair. But see that guy right there? That's a good man. That's a good husband. That's a good father. That's what it looks like. That's what it does. Right? And I have hundreds of kids who don't have a strong, godly man in their life. And I have hundreds of men who want to be a strong, godly man in the lives of their family. And the best place for both of those needs to be met is right here in this church. So men, without apology, I am, I'm asking, as, as your spiritual leader, I'm asking, will you please step into your leadership on a deeper level and you can do it all by yourself or better yet, bring your wife or your girlfriend with you, do it with your own kids in there or do it with somebody else's kids who need you in their life. And I'm not talking about a couple of you, like the Christmas video. I don't want to bring that up again, I'm just reminding you, all right? But I mean like m- most of you. Men, you need to be praying right now about the reason you should not do this. Because there are some kids that really need us to step into their life and put into practice what Jesus says that we should do. So if Jesus tells you no, don't do it. But the rest of us, let's do it. Now I'm almost done. All right, so I got a couple, couple of questions. I, here's what I want you to do. I want you, maybe you have to close your eyes to do this, but maybe it's really obvious. Pick out like one of the most important relationships you currently have going in your life. All right, currently going in your life. It might be the person you're married to, the person you're dating. It might be your children. It might be your parents. It might be your brother, your sister, your best friend, right? I want you to think about the most important relationship that you have in your life. Now, audience participation, by show of hands, even if it's not bad right now, how many of you would say, I want the most important relationship in my life to get even better and stronger? Anybody want that to happen? Awesome, all right. So, so, dude, if, you, if she's right there and you didn't raise your hand, you're an idiot. All right, I set you up, all right? It's like, it's you, honey. I want you, right? right? So, all right. So how's that going to happen? I want it to get better and stronger. How? Here's the answer. Not by accident. <laughs> Look at that. Our marriage came back together. Wow. Right? No. No, by intentionally doing something different than you're currently doing. Here's what I want to leave you with, okay? I want to to teach you a concept that actually Chris, the guy over there, he actually taught me about how people learn. Learn anything, like learn a new language, like I'm trying to learn a new language right now, or maybe learn to play an instrument for the first time, or, or, but it certainly applies to learning how to live and and lead my home differently than I have in the, in the, in the past. Learning to do something new always starts in the same place. So Chris is going to kind of illustrate this on the piano, all right? So, so we all start in the same place. It's, it's called unconscious, Incompetence. <laughs> Meaning this, I didn't even know I couldn't do that. I didn't know. I didn't know I couldn't play violin, but ta-da, I can't. All right? And some, some of you walked in here going, I haven't thought about my family. I just thought everybody was dysfunctional. And now I can listen, I sit in here and I'm going, oh, we are jacked up. I was unconscious of that. All right? So I didn't know. But in terms of piano, it might look like this. 
You know, some, some of you going, that, that's how I became a parent. Like, whoops, there it is. But I was like, yeah, you know what I'm talking about, right? So, so I just kind of stumbled in. I, I, didn't know, I didn't know I couldn't do that. But that leads to this next thing. And this is where a lot of us are right now. Conscious incompetence. I know I can't do this, right? And it sounds like this. And some of you going, you know, that's a theme song of my life. Dang, 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 right? I, know, I can't do that. Some of you are thinking, I, I can't be a good husband. I, I, can't, I can't lead these kids spiritually. I can't. But some of us will push on to the next one. It's called conscious competence. If I, if I try, if I practice, if I concentrate really, really hard, I'm going to make some mistakes maybe, but I, I think I can do this. And it sounds like this. And some of us that says, that sounds like my marriage. I'm trying. I'm focusing. I'm, I'm thinking of every word that comes out. I'm, I'm trying to restore a relationship with my daughter or whatever that is. It's, I'm trying. And if I concentrate, I do it right. But then, boom, I make a mistake. But if we keep going, we end up in this awesome place called unconscious competence. And it's like, it's like I, I'm doing it now. I'm not even trying. It sounds like this. And Jesus says it's your choice about what your life sounds like. And without apology, I want that. And how does that happen? Well, to learn a new, better way of living together is going to take an intentional strategy of consciously trying and practicing new, better ways that Jesus says will work. And we'll make mistakes, but then we get up and we just keep on, we keep on going. He said, well, why is it worth it? Why is all this, this pain and effort and trying worth it? And here's the answer, because this... It's not as good as this. I want that. And I'm not going to apologize for it. Anybody else? All right. So stand up. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing a song. And then we're going to go home. And we're going to try to consciously, even though we're incompetent at it, do something new. And we're not going to do it right or perfect. We're going to keep going, and Jesus is going to give us the strength, grace and strength to do it. Let's pray. So God, this brings up a lot. I have a feeling right now that there's a lot of hearts beating. When we think about Thursday and that meal, and our mouths are dry because we're like, I don't know what I'll say, I don't know what I'll say. All we know is that we want something better, and without apology, we're going to man up or woman up or whatever up we have to do and go, I want to say something. Without apology, I want us to be closer. And I feel like we've lost some things in trying to do the right things. We've actually done all the busy things. And you're more important to me than that. And so I, I just want to lay that down and pick you up and go, can we do life together? And I don't know where it'll go. But here's what I ask God. is that since you are a God of grace and mercy and protection, I ask that you would protect every family, every relationship that's represented listening to my voice right now. Whatever conversations happen, uh, you know, on any day, but especially Thursday when a lot of stuff just comes up for us, that you would protect us, give us wisdom and grace to say the right things and shut up when we need to shut up, to ask for the things without apology that are right and good that you say you want for our lives, and to protect those things that try to come into our lives and into our homes that don't line up, that will burn us to the ground. That's going to take courage. And so we need you, Jesus. We are thankful for holidays and food and all that other stuff. But we're mostly thankful for Jesus because without him, none of this is possible. So thank you, Jesus, for being a good God. It's in your son's name that I pray. 
Amen.